What is going on, OWS fam, fantasy fam? Welcome to the first DFS Lab of week three, where Keegan and I will be talking about the slate, talking about last week, and putting together an early roster that allows us to take a look at what this week's slate offers. This week is very different from week two in a number of ways. We'll get into some of that today. We'll get into some of that again on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday. Uh, and be able to talk again about the strategy of building a roster alongside that. So stick around. We will get started. One week season. Yo, yo, yo. Ew. All right. So we were uh, hopped on right before we went on air, started chatting. And you asked me how, how my week was. I asked you how your week was. And then I told you that uh, Goldie just finished a, an hour and a half long fit. So we decided to start recording while she's being quiet and also have this conversation on air where it's fresh. So Keegan, how was your week two? Um, you know, crazy thing. It, I, so I just had a really busy week, right? You know, I, I moved in recently and uh, I'm still moving in. So we had to clean out like our entire garage and then like the attic, we had to clean that out. And that took like three days. And then Sunday... I look at my like lineups and I'm like, oh my God, I don't have any lineups. And I'm still <laughs> cleaning, like, by the way, this Sunday, like this last Sunday, I was still cleaning. And um, I was like, okay, I'll just hurry and get like one or two lineups in. I ended up getting one lineup in and um, a couple like prop bets. And actually, my prop bets were super successful. I had a really good week on that. Um, I won like four separate, like, five to six leg parlays that was pretty Ooh, nice. yeah and then um with the i didn't even like because the prop bets were doing so well i wasn't even paying attention to my dfs but then like at the end of the day i was like you have won like 40 bucks but oh, nice. <laughs> it was like a 12 dollar like single entry and um dude i was looking at my lineup and if i had dk and if dk wouldn't have gotten injured. I think I would have been like definitely competing in like the top 10 for sure. Man, that's a good, um, in, in one sense, it kind of makes you feel like, man, I wish I'd played a little bit more, but in the other sense, I've had some of those slates where you're, you're in like that overthinking mode. And I, I remember one time I was in Vegas with, with buddies and it was before DFS was banned in Vegas. And I woke up at like, I wasn't even planning to play MLB that day and one of my buddies like came into the room yelling and i was like come on and i looked at the clock and it was like five minutes till the games were about to start i was like i'll throw on a roster and the roster did awesome because there was that time crunch of like you couldn't overthink it so you just had to quickly react and put things together yeah. uh sometimes that's beneficial and those those wins can like catapult you moving forward so um yeah i mean that's pretty cool honestly like if you built a bunch of rosters and put in a bunch of time it might not have come together as well and uh yeah that can that can springboard you so who did you, did you end up kind of building around that seattle detroit game yeah actually i'm, I'm gonna go check um, and see what i built um while i check for that how was your fantasy week how did that it was go? good man i um it was kind of a crazy crazy week so um you know i i since the middle of last year i've been doing 150 max in the slant which is the nine dollar buy-in it's like 26,000 entries. So we we're coming to, toward the end of the late games. And I had a roster in, I think it was second, third, and fifth in the slant. Um, and then there was one roster right behind me. Like my most live roster still had three guys going ahead. Uh, Debo, 
and Darren Waller and Puka were still going in those late games. And so it was like pretty clear that I was going to jump over the guy who was in first place because he had nobody left. And I had these three guys going, but then there was somebody like one point behind me who had those same three players and uh, Daniel Jones. And so I was like, okay, well, I, I can't, I can't get first place because this guy's going to pass me. But I was like, I, I'll probably lock in second unless something crazy happens. Turned out that guy was a, is an OWS sub. And he, um, <laughs> he posted in the Discord to, in the Binks channel. And he said, Jay, if you're, if you're wondering why the only roster that beat you in the slant looks so similar to yours, it's because you helped with it. So uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool to have, um, you know, get that second place finish in a 26,000 entry tournament. And then also have, um, you know, a subscriber finish in first place. So that was cool. And that the other two rosters, just the way that like the craziness of those late games, the way they ended, those other rosters dropped out of the top 10. So I think they finished like maybe 12th and 14th or something like that. And um, main roster, like my main single entry that I put into high dollar single, single entry didn't do well. Um, it was just a, a poor choice on what I put into there, but all my other three max and, and, and single entries did well. So yeah, really nice weekend. Had a pace pretty significantly ahead of pace on, on like what my goals are for, um, for the year. So yeah, not a, not a bad way to start the season, especially since, you know, the business side of OWS keeps me so busy early in the season. And I typically, you know, my edge, as I've talked about is blending my DFS theory knowledge with my NFL knowledge. And that NFL knowledge doesn't really start coming around until like week five, week six, in terms of really knowing, like being ahead of what other people know about these teams. So, um, so yeah, typically like week six on is when I start getting really good with my DFS play. So starting hot is a nice way for the season to get off because because you just feel like you're ahead of the game a little bit. And I still have probably yeah, my best weeks still ahead of me. So that's um, pretty nice. Have you had a chance to look at this week three yeah. slate much? Oh, oh what's the roster? I want to see what's, what's the roster. roster? But yeah. the slate also, I'm super excited about. I got to look this week and even better look this morning. So nice. Um, all right, so I got uh, – actually, I had the – yeah, the Seattle-Detroit uh, game. So I had Jared Goff as my uh, quarterback. Nice. Had Rashad White. There you and go. Ryan Robinson, Jr. Yes. So, you know what? I got off of him on, on Saturday night when I was building my pool. I kept looking at him, kept looking at him. And, um, and then I was like, what is his ceiling really? Which uh, – actually, there's some interesting theory stuff to talk about there, but I uh, really like that play. Cool, cool. I'm glad you do because they were both like five five, and yeah. I had the the Cowboys defense, so I had to go a little nice. cheaper on the running backs. And then I had St. Brown and uh, DK, and then I had uh, Westbrook Ikini. Nice. You know, <laughs> I, I grabbed him because we we talked about it. Yeah, we talked about him. Like last season, I won like a tournament because of him. I was like, yeah, he'll do his, his 31 pointer last year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then I had uh, Musgrave as my tight end. He got like four points, but I mean, like, I still did decent. So yeah. And I had a uh, CD Lamb at the flex and the Cowboys. Cool. Game. Oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah. yeah. So the one of the things that I, I again, this the beginning of the season is so crazy for me. One of the things I didn't start thinking about till Saturday night, which was pretty obvious, but is that if you were betting on a cheap running back, like we knew Joshua Kelly was going to be popular. And if you're betting on a cheap running back last week, you know that they have to beat Joshua Kelly or you're behind the sticks, right? Now, at the same time, we also knew that Josh Kelly was 
was on paper pretty bad chalk just because he was playing literally the best run defense in football and a run defense that's so good that they face far more pass attempts per game than any other team in the NFL. That was all year last year. In fact, I think we're now in our props insider package on OWS. I think we're now 7-0 and just taking the over on pass attempts for quarterbacks against Tennessee because every week teams pass the ball a ton against Tennessee. So it was like Joshua Kelly wasn't going to have Austin Eckler's pass game role and he had this horrible matchup on the ground, but you knew he was going to be popular. So like I had, I think 30% Zach Moss and then like another 25% Rashad White and ended up off of Brian Robinson. But same type of thing where it's like, you you can't just, in those situations, you can't just take the cheap running back in a vacuum. You have to take that cheap running back thinking about the strategy of I'm competing against this other cheap running back. And so like this guy has to outscore him. And if he outscores Joshua Kelly by a significant amount, then you gain a significant edge on those rosters. So what I ended up doing also was I paired a lot of my, in, like went out of my way to pair a lot of my Zach Moss and Rashawn White with Keenan Allen. Because if Joshua Kelly was having a bad game, that increased the chances of Keenan Allen having a good game. And so it's like, you not only are you beating these Joshua Kelly rosters, but you're getting the points that the Joshua Kelly rosters aren't getting. And um, so, yeah, little things like that can make a big difference. And, and if you're watching this, it's your first time watching the show or you're newer to this show. These are the types of things we try to think about in terms of what wins us tournaments as opposed to just what, what gets us points. Uh, side note on that, if you're new to this show, that's kind of this is kind of the idea is, um, you know, Keegan's been playing DFS since 2020, playing seriously since 2021. I've been playing since 2013, been playing high stakes tournaments since 2014. And um, so, yeah, the vibe here is kind of Keegan is asking questions, continuing to learn about DFS play. And obviously I'm always continuing to learn as well. That's how we stay sharp on things, but um, being able to kind of chime in from, from like a deeper level. And this is what I do full time. This is what Keegan does on the side. So uh, being able to chime in from a deeper level of understanding of what we want to be looking for. And uh, hopefully that helps you as the listener, as the viewer, understand what you should be looking for in order to uh, take down first place in tournament. So yeah, man, I'm uh, two weeks in, uh, like I said the other day, I hadn't had a, hadn't had a profitable week one since 2017, which was the year before we started OWS just because it is so crazy leading up to the season. So uh, yeah, I had a couple second place finishes already. No, no first place finishes yet, but um mathematically that's pretty tough to do so i'm excited about the way the season started and excited to get to week three where it's like mid i haven't even looked at the over unders because that comes deeper in my process but i i know that minnesota and and the chargers is like a much higher over under than all the others and we have like all these other games that yeah. are kind of middling or or like not that exciting and so there's a few spots that are interesting to me i, I think that Buffalo is capable of putting up points against Washington. I think that we've seen it a lot over the in the past, more so when Tyree Kill was in Kansas City, but we've seen a lot in the past where people are like, oh, but Kansas City is just going to blow out this team, so we can't play Patrick Mahomes. Did you know that Isaiah Pacheco's best game in Kansas City is like 16 DraftKings points? Like they just don't use the running backs. Like So these games, these these – uh, complete domination games from Kansas City usually are still like 32 to 35 point DraftKings games from Patrick Mahomes. So I think that's interesting. And then there was one other, oh, um, man, like Baltimore is a Super Bowl contender. Like their team 
is really good this year, like on all sides. And the Colts kind of gave the Jags a hard time. Obviously, the Jags are in that upper echelon uh, and then looked good against the Texans who are in that lower tier of teams. But this is the sort of spot where I could see uh, Baltimore just dog walking Indianapolis and, and putting up a ton of points, having a big game. So, yeah, those are kind of some of the spots that I'm seeing. And then, and then there's, oh, yeah, there's Atlanta and Detroit, which is kind of very interesting just because you have two, there's like that top tier of NFC teams, San Francisco and Philadelphia and Dallas. And then these, these two teams are in that next tier alongside like Seattle and New Orleans where uh, probably make the playoffs, both these teams and competitive teams. And uh, certainly a lot of point potential in that game, even though Atlanta runs the ball a lot, they're, they're an explosive run team. So um, yeah, there's some hidden gems. I, I've kind of gone through all the games, obviously, as you know, listened to all the press conferences yesterday, gone through all the games in my mind three or four times and, um, so yeah, I think there's more to find than it looks like on the surface, but that, that Chargers Vikings game is clearly the, the top tier. So yeah, those are my thoughts. I want to throw it over to you to see kind of what, what you've been working through in your mind as you look at this slate. Um, actually pretty much the same thing. I didn't, I didn't necessarily look at the, um, the Ravens game though, like, uh, at, like a broad view. I, I, I probably should have, um, let me go over to my DraftKings and just get a look, see real quick. So Colts Ravens. Okay, yeah, uh, Lions Falcons is also one that I was like looking at. I mean, I think everybody probably is as well. But um, uh, Jags Texans is one I was looking at. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's it. You're right. I mean, it's it's interesting, man. There are games that like, and the pricing on on the Chargers and Vikings is so prohibit. It's so prohibitive um, to where uh, we we've seen the Chargers play poorly, but they're going to sell out to stop Justin Jefferson. Is he going to score 25 to 30 points? Probably, but like at 9,300, you might need a little bit more than that. You know, and I also, there are a lot of wide receivers this week. So like, does Tyreek Hill score 40 against Denver in what probably won't be a high scoring game? He could, but probably not, right? He probably score if he has a great game, he probably scores 30. If Jefferson has a great game, he probably scores 30. Uh, And so you kind of overpay for those, not to say that we're making decisions to not do that on our rosters, but you get down to like the 6K range. Mike Williams can score 30 at 6K. Gabe Davis can score 30 at 5,800. Amari Cooper can score 30 at 5,700. Uh, Terry McLaurin has, you know, outside potential for like a 25, 28 point game. So there are some guys down here. Christian Kirk can always pop off. Uh, Zay Flowers can pop off. Nico Collins can pop off. So yeah, this like cheaper wide receiver range is actually kind of kind of interesting as well. Um, it's just a weird week because pricing's all over the place, even at, even at like in terms of what production you think you'll get for the price tag. Uh, Tony Pollard, 8K and what should be a blowout against Arizona. Um, Brian Schottenheimer said on Monday, he said, like, will Pollard get that type of workload? The workload he got last week, he said, will Pollard get that type of workload every week? He said, I don't know. But it kind of implied, like, probably not. But he was kind of saying, like, he established that he can do that. So I don't know that Pollard's getting 27 touches if they if they win the blowout against Arizona um Bijan Robinson you know they're kind of limiting him to this like 17 to 22 touch range so he's got to be super efficient at 7800 to get up to you know 25 30 points so yeah it's just a kind of a weird um week across the board yeah I I agree um I like it though I really like the pricing this week maybe except for Jefferson obviously (laughs) (laughs) but you always want to play Jefferson but um yeah man my dad was telling me today about the uh, the throwing rate 
like for the uh, the Vikings, which is like apparently never happened since mm. uh, twenty or two thousand six, I think two thousand five. Um, the Vikings are like the number one team, like passing rate. So they throw, I think seventy percent, seventy six percent of the time is what he said. Uh, I got some, I got some notes for you on that though. So I'm this curious, is, I wrote, curious. I wrote these down. These are quotes from Kevin O'Connell, their head coach, uh, this week. We need to run, quote, we need to run the football. (laughs) (laughs) He said they haven't been able to run the football because they're behind the sticks, like they're not running the ball well. So they run and then they end up in like second and 10, second and 12. Um, And so it's like, and this is like a pass heavy team and they, they were last year and they will be again this year. So it's about running the ball to set up the pass, but they do want to run more. And then, and then another quote, We've got to run the football more. He said those exact words again. It'll help our whole entire team. Definitely a main focal point. Um, <laughs> on top of that, uh, Alexander Madison dealt with like some attacks on social media that got publicized this week and like were publicized in the locker room. Where, did you see about that? It was like yeah. people telling him to commit suicide, a bunch of racist stuff. Mm, and yeah, um, I think it's like his wife and brother got involved trying to defend him. And so then, then that kind of like seeps into the home and, you know, he came and talked to Kevin O'Connell and just let him know that he was dealing with this. And so then this became a story in their locker room. So between Kevin O'Connell being like, we've got to run the ball more, it's going to help the whole team. And this going on with Alexander Madison, like I can see this being an emphasis this week for the Vikings. At, at the same time, I don't know that that necessarily makes Alexander Madison a slam dunk play. It, makes, it certainly elevates the chance of him having a good game. But Dalvin Cook, I think it was three or four times last year that he topped 20 points. And it's not like Dalvin Cook just became so much worse as a runner. It's just that this Kevin O'Connell offense doesn't like the old Vikings offense from a few years ago. It was a Kubiak offense. Everything was built off of the the run. Everything was built off of outside zone runs and then like the play action off of that. Whereas this Kevin O'Connell offense is more of a Sean McVay offense, which is, you know, sure, we're going to run it, but we're passing the ball. And so, uh, I don't know that Alexander Madison becomes some slam dunk play. And, and I don't know that that even takes away from Justin Jefferson's target total, but it's, it's interesting information to have in terms of what that could do to this game, right? It could slow down drives a little bit. It could lower scoring a little bit. So um, definitely a chance that, 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 that they're not passing quite as much as they have in some of these other games um, because that's clearly not what they're wanting to do. So yeah, I thought that was, I, I was, uh, at the Oakland airport yesterday, listening to that press conference, it was like whipping out my phone to like ever rewound it, wrote down the exact quotes. To make sure <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's definitely something I'm paying attention to this week. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, injury wise, uh, obviously, you know, Nick Chubb is out probably for the season. It That was terrible. That looked horrendous. If you guys saw the replay, if anybody did, obviously not good. Um, St. Brown, I don't know injury wise if he's. It says day to day. I think it was in this RotoWire report on DraftKings that said cramps like initially. And I was like, well, he, he missed a chunk of that game. Uh, he missed practice today, I believe it was. And they're, they're yeah. kind of not giving information on it yet. So, yeah, we don't know about that. We don't know about Austin Eckler, which definitely impacts the slate because now we have, again, Joshua Kelly's not going to go out and catch eight passes. But he is going to get, you know, 15, 18 carries in this spot against Minnesota, maybe even a few more than that. He could push for 20 touches in this spot. So um, 
he's more viable. The Browns, I don't know if you saw this, they went out and re-signed Kareem Hunt. Yeah, I did see that. Hunt's back. Uh, and Jerome Ford is, he looked really good the other night, but he's also taking on this Tennessee defense, this Tennessee defense that Jamal Williams was chalk in week one. They shut him down. Joshua Kelly was chalk in week two. They shut him down. So it'll be interesting to see if the field gets behind Jerome Ford this week in this exact same matchup that's burned them two different times. But, right. um, you know, obviously the, the upside there is in pass catching. So if Kareem Hunt's back, I don't know how quickly he'll be up to speed, but if he's back, that definitely takes away some of Jerome Ford's pass catching upside. I'm actually, you know, last year I kept no way they're they're this bad. You know, like like look what Mike Evans has done weeks one and two. So I kept coming back to them and being like, man, Mike Evans is going to have one of these games. And I think he did end up with like a 50-pointer deep into the season, but every other game was like under 20 points last year. So I'm kind of that way right now with, who was it? Um, well, I, I lost my, oh, Cleveland with Deshaun Watson. Like, I, I like uh, now they're playing Tennessee. They're going to throw the ball a ton. And they've got Amari Cooper. They've got Elijah Moore. Like, both of those guys are going to see seven to 10 targets. And they're both cheap. Elijah Moore's 4,700. Amari's 5,700. And yet, I'm also like, I mean, the Titans are a borderline playoff team. And they do it not with talent, but they do it just by making, like, confusing opponents, making it hard for them to score touchdowns. Guys rack up a lot of pass attempts. Sometimes rack up a lot of yards. But they just don't, like, Teams don't score four touchdowns against the Titans typically. It's usually like 17 points, 20 points, something like that. So then it's like, man, is Deshaun Watson just going to come out and throw 40 times for 250 yards? You know, is, is he going to run for only 15 or 20 yards? So, yeah, that's an offense that's going to be interesting for me to sort through this week because he's looked genuinely bad. And, um, you know, it's also watching these press conferences. You know, I, I listen to all the teams, all the players as much as I can every week all these other young quarterbacks like like Desmond Ritter for the Falcons was talking this last week about how he grades himself after every game and they were like uh you know what was your grade this last game and he played a great game he's like probably a C he's like I haven't watched the tape yet probably a C and they're like you know what do you need for an A he's like I need basically a perfect game he said how many A's have you had you know in your lifetime playing quarterback he's like not many and they said what's the last A you got he's like probably early in my career in college um and then Deshaun Watson after his game they're like you know, they're like, do you think you're playing at your best? And he's like, oh, uh, I mean, I could do a little bit better, but like, <laughs> so, could this, so could the team, so could everybody else. I'm like, dude, every other quarterback, especially these young guys who've been like gone through all the camps and been trained their whole life to be NFL quarterbacks. They're like, put it all on my shoulders and like anything that could be blamed on anyone else, they take it on themselves. And Deshaun Watson standing up there like, well, you know, it's everybody. And it's like, sure, that might be true, but that's not your job to say that. And it's not your job to be like, yeah, I mean, I maybe could do a few things better. And it, it just doesn't look like, I mean, it, it looks like um, it's a funny thing to talk about because it's it's not concrete. We can't look at it analytically, but like Trevor Lawrence, like Lawrence looked like a bust the first half of last year. And then all of a sudden, like it switched and he looked like Trevor Lawrence. And he said it all started on a fourth and like fourth and one or fourth and four or something like that deep into a game that Doug Peterson called for them to go for it. And he said like the confidence that Peterson showed in him to go for that play. And then the fact that the Jags got that play and then won that game, like it just started him rolling and believing himself again. And it's almost like Deshaun Watson from all like the negativity, which obviously he brought on himself, but it's like, it's broken him as a, like a competitor, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. um, 
and we're, obviously we're getting like we're really reaching in terms of how much we understand and what we can what we can know without knowing a person but it just he doesn't look like the same guy and so um yeah that's a long way of saying that offense really intrigues me this week but that happened to me so many times with the bucks last year that that i'm interested to see where i go in that in that direction so it's it's funny that you say that i think like maybe a couple of days ago i saw um like just a compilation of interviews with Jalen Hurts and how he's always talking about how he he's like money's great and all, but championships are better. And he just like he's like saying all these like motivational quotes and someone in the comments like he only talks in Instagram quotes. The <laughs> <laughs> dude's a boss. It was it was great though. I mean, he had that like drive that you're talking about with these younger quarterbacks. I remember uh, oh, Mike up, Mike up before the Super Bowl. He, he they're sitting on the bench and he looked at AJ Brown. And he said, "I forget exactly what it was." But he said something like, "It's like we were born to be here. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is our destiny." <laughs> like that dude, man. That nobody works. I remember last year he said uh, he said the rent is due every day. <laughs> like that dude. Like his mindset is just constant growth. And I and I like a lot of these a lot of these young quarterbacks, a lot of these young players, that is their mindset. And um, yeah, man, like seeing a Deshaun Watson interview after seeing all these other, like uh, press conference, after seeing all these other guys, it's, it's, it stands out as like, this is not, not the guy, you know, it's, and you think about how much better their offense was last year with Jacoby Brissett, who, which granted like to me, uh, Kevin Stefanski, their head coach, you know, offensive coordinator, he's not the best fit for, or I should say offensive mind. He's not the best fit for Deshaun Watson. He wants to do what Deshaun Watson wants to do, but, or what Deshaun Watson's strengths are. But, um, but Jacoby Brissett, you know, could just play within the offense, deliver the ball. Like Amari had all these big games last year with Brissett and Watson came on and just like kind of fell off. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting spot to me in terms of, there's a lot of upside there. We want to look for those ones where people are down on it. And it can pop off, but then we also don't want to be so optimistic, you know, that we're we're rostering Brady and Mike Evans for the sixth time and waiting for it to finally happen, sort of thing. Um, yeah, so I, yeah I don't know. But yeah, why don't we go ahead and get to um, yeah. a roster? I'm curious to see where you want to start this week in terms yeah. of teams, positions, all that. Um, I'm trying to think because I, I really like the roster that I built um, this morning, and it was because of I was looking at St. Brown and I was um, basically building it on the, um, you know, saying that he's going to be out basically. Okay. And I, I wanted to take um, their secondary, their second wide receiver. Josh Reynolds. Yes. Josh Reynolds and uh, put him on there just cause he's so cheap and he could get, you know, a decent amount of points cause they're still going to throw the ball. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Yeah. That was my thought process. And I didn't actually like like pair him with the quarterback, though. I just had him as a, a player. Kind of like a starting point. Yeah. yeah. And, I'm, and if you think through it, right, like what are Goff's chances as a pocket passer of having a 27-point game when – or 27, 30-point game without Amon Ra St. Brown? You know, like they're obviously lower than with Amon Ra St. Brown. But then what are Reynolds' chances of having a big game without Almond Ross St. Brown? Probably higher. Obviously, he gets a little bit more defensive attention, but he's going to get more targets. And we can we can have perceptions about a player. You know, Reynolds was um, probably before you were – I mean, you were in high school, so you weren't, like, paying close attention to the NFL. You weren't doing DFS. But Reynolds was drafted by the Rams, and 
he was supposed to be like a big piece for them and never really developed. Um, so already the perception around him is somewhat negative, like, oh, this guy's not good. And then he came over, you know, with Jared Goff to to be on this team, or maybe he came over a year before, but like they paired him up with Goff. And Goff loves him. The coaches love him. Like, yeah, he's not an alpha receiver, but he still is a solid number two receiver, right? And a solid number two receiver can put up, as we've seen him do so far, can put up numbers. So, um, yeah, I think the downside is pretty low there, right? His bad game, he's going to still get you like – it's not like the 4,200 guy who could get you zero. His bad game, he's still going to get you eight, nine, 12 points. Um, and his good game, you know, especially if, if St. Brown's out is – is really nice. and it's one of those interesting setups too, Keegan. Where if if St. Brown doesn't play, this is a good play. It'll be popular, but obviously he can get the targets. And then if St. Brown does play, it's still a good play because nobody will roster it. And we see these these scores twelve and twenty two with Amonra St. Brown playing right. So either way, like there's value in this play. So uh, yeah, I like that starting point there. And obviously you don't have to play him if if St. Brown's active, but it's one of those things where we can kind of think through both sides. It's like, oh, either way, this play makes sense. Right. Okay, cool. <laughs> that, that was awesome. That's a, that's a lot. Um, I then probably would go on to like the game, the game environment, and, you know, just pick out whichever one I'd like. Um, I like Houston Jags, obviously uh, Detroit Atlanta. That's what we just talked about. And then I think – I kind of want to go towards just because we picked out such a cheap piece to start with. I kind of want to like hover around the Vikings chargers. Obviously it's going to be popular, but there's like so many ways you can play it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things we'll want to think about if we end up with the popular pieces from the Vikings and if St. Brown's out is that this then becomes a pretty common starting point of like, okay, I save money on Josh Reynolds, who's a, a starting wide receiver who's underpriced, or like a number one this week who's underpriced. And that allows me to go to the Vikings and Chargers. So that doesn't even dictate anything for us yet. We can still play Jefferson and, and Keenan Allen or however we wanted to go here. But then we want to think about that deeper into our roster because we want to think about this is great for points, but then what's great for differentiating us on the back half of our roster. So a lot of times we find the differentiation on the front half but if we don't find it on the front half, we just need to be aware of it so we can find it on the back half. You know, one way to find the differentiation is play Mike Williams instead of Keenan Allen. And, um, you know, Mike Williams, we, we didn't really see it week one. It was such a weird game for the Titans in week – I mean, for the Chargers in week one against Miami. They ran the ball way more than they typically do. Uh, but the idea this year is that Mike Williams is in the slot a lot more, and he's one of these big slots where he can get these – targets these shorter area targets right which kind of boosts his floor and then still get the downfield work so coming into the season the expectation was he's going to get a lot more work than he has in the past and we see it with the 13 targets last week and then on top of that that means keenan allen has moved to the perimeter a little bit more than he still runs a lot of slot snaps but he's moved to the perimeter more than normal which is giving him a little bit more upside so what kellen moore is doing with his offense is actually giving keenan allen more ceiling mike williams more floor and more opportunities for ceiling um, so both these guys are a little bit more valuable than they've been in the past. And, and, you know, people will typically go to Keenan Allen over Mike Williams. So if we're early on understanding, no, Mike Williams role is different. He's safer than, than in the past. Um, you know, actually let me go to, uh, I'm going to pull up Mike Williams game logs from last year. So, um, yeah. Um, 
so you said we're going different and this probably wouldn't be um, different possibly because it's going to be popular play. Um, what about the Cowboys at the defense? <laughs> They've been doing crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, it's like we talked about last, they weren't that prohibitively expensive um, last week. I mean, that prohibitively high owned last week, right? Because they're expensive, people end up not wanting to play them. So I think they're 4,400 this week, right? Yeah. So, and I mean, so they got 37 points the first week. They got 15 points the second week. Obviously, they're not going to do that every week. But if you think about it as like it's a $4,000 player and they're getting exactly, points exactly. For you, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so this is – and this is fantasydata.com, which I always use to find uh, past game logs for people. But we can see Mike Williams' game logs right here. And you see like a 28-pointer, a 22-pointer, a 26-pointer, a 21-pointer, a 26-pointer. Uh, so like, and, and some of these were with Keenan Allen out last year, but like he's capable of putting up these, these big games, right? And at 6K, that's a lot of ceiling to grab uh, in a game environment that we like. So, um, and adding the Cowboys defense definitely going to make it different because people who are paying up for say Justin Jefferson, if we go that direction, aren't, aren't going to also pay up for the Cowboys by and large. So that's another nice little separator for us. Um, so we got Mike Williams on here from that game. Do you want to add, Justin Jefferson, or you want to go a different direction there? Yeah. Uh, before we figure that out, I do want to like ask about two um, other players that I'm curious why they're still cheap. Um, and you might you might have an idea of who I'm talking about. Uh, they're wide receivers. Um, one of them's for the Chiefs. One of them for the Broncos. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking you were going to talk about Texans guys. Really? Yeah. Tank Actually, Dell, I, I, yeah, Collins. Texans guy. Um, I had like. I don't know, 40% tank Dell last week. <laughs> now he's still 3,600. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with him. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sky Moore is one of the guys that we're going to want to talk about. Is he going to be like the wide receiver one for the Chiefs for now on, or is he still going to be Kadarius Tony? No, I mean, they don't really have a wide receiver one. So if you look at uh, – I, I haven't looked at their snaps from week two, but week one, I don't know how many plays they ran. A typical NFL team, you're running 65 to 70 plays. So let's say they ran 70 plays. I, this is off the top of my head, but I think Sky Moore had like 44 snaps or something like that out of 70. Um, whereas, you know, if you're Justin Jefferson, you're playing 70 out of 70. Um, if yeah. you're Travis Kelsey, you're playing 70 out of 70. So you had like 44 out of 70. Kadarius Tony had like 25 out of 70. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling had like 51 out of 70 just because his role is to keep running wind sprints and like spread out the defense. Keep running um, wind sprints. <laughs> and so like they're mixing in all the – and then they'll run a bunch of two tight end sets. They'll run like – so their thing is like these four targets and four targets for Sky Moore, that's going to be kind of where he's at. And then he had the, the long, um, the, the long catch last week was just like a scrambled drill where, you know, and if he doesn't have that, then he ends up with, I forget how long that catch was, but it was like around 50 yards. Right. So then he ended up with like 20 yards receiving instead of 70 yards receiving and the stat line looks totally different. So um, yeah, I mean, he's out there about half the game, maybe two thirds of the game. He's going to have some plays designed for him, but those are primarily going to be close to the line of scrimmage. He's not really getting downfield plays designed for him at this point. And that yeah. offense is really still looking for its identity in terms of what they can scheme downfield. Cause a lot of what they're, a lot of their scheme stuff is kind of short area stuff right now. I do think that, that most teams look at the first four weeks as figuring out what they do well. And, you know, D'Amico Ryan, the Texans head coach talked about this this week is like, he might have an idea of 
how he wants to win games. But through those first four weeks, he might find like, oh, our, our actual best way to win games is doing this, right? So you have to adapt and adjust. And so by week five, we might have a more consistent top three wideouts on Kansas City. But for now, it's just it's just kind of mixing and matching things and figuring out what they have. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember you mentioning last year that uh, the Chiefs like were trying to uh, create more plays for uh, – for him and uh yeah that's what that's just what, like what brought came to my head whenever i was looking this morning it was just like okay, yeah and, and definitely like i had a little bit of sky more last week in large field play but it's just there come there's there's like the pool of players for me that you feel really confident in their role and their shot at hitting for ceiling and then there's the pool of players that like in large field play i'm putting them on like five percent or six percent of rosters where it's like this guy can have a difference making game so i want to account for that but there's no predicting it. And so Sky Moore still falls into that bucket for me of like, he can have a difference making game, but it's almost impossible to predict when it will happen. So you, you kind of, you know, you throw him on a roster and hope. Um, but because of that in like single entry, small field, he's usually not being played at a high level. So if he hits, you really don't have to worry about him too much in those contests. But if you have him, you know, it's nice. The problem is more often than not, he's going to, he's going to hurt your roster instead of helping you. And then like last thing with Sky Moore, you also um, I feel like you want to think about what game, like who they're playing at that moment, and what do you think about the game that they're going to be playing this Sunday? Yeah, like, I mean, how I, are they going to fit him in that scenario? Yeah, so I guess one way to look at it is we'll start from this starting point. They should dominate the Bears. The Bears look bad right now. And one of the things that's that I'm going to talk about this some more on the site this week, but last year, second half of the year, remember Justin Fields had this like resurgence and all of a sudden went from looking like a bust to looking like this really good quarterback. So what happened around that point was Luke Getze, their offensive coordinator had gone back and studied a bunch of old Ravens film, like the early Lamar Jackson days where, where they were just like, Hey, let's just make him part of our run game. And they did that with Justin Fields. And then they came into this year and decided like, it's time for Fields to take the next step as a, as a quarterback and like be a pocket passer, I guess. Uh, but I think he has like four designed runs on the season, something crazy like that. Whereas last year it was like eight, nine design runs per game. And so they're, they're basically taking this tool and misusing it. Um, and then this Kansas city defense is, is like way better than, than I think people realize. So that's this sort of spot where the bears are gonna have a hard time on offense Kansas City's not going to have a hard time with the Bears defense. So from that standpoint, yeah, you could see maybe maybe Andy Reid's like, hey, let's um, let's see what it looks like to try to get some extra touches to Sky Moore, to Kadarius Tony. But I mean, that's pretty guesswork driven, right? We're just like we're taking a player we, we want to play and we're saying, here's how he can have a good game, which he certainly can. And but it's not like that's something we can act on proactively. So um, yeah, Sky Moore definitely the kind of guy I would play more in large field and probably even large field multi-entry even if i'm only putting in one entry if if it's a contest where other people can put in 150 entries that's where i want to put sky more in because i recognize he'll be on some rosters and if he hits you know surprisingly for a huge game then i want to make sure i'm accounting for him um, but he's not a guy i'm kind of going out of my way to play okay and the second cheap guy is uh marvin mims and obviously he had, I think, what was, was it two touchdowns or one touchdown? One touchdown, two catches, like 110 yards, 113 yards, something. 
and um, one of them was from the the kickoff, right? Oh, I don't know. Did he score a touchdown on a kickoff too? No, he didn't score. I'm pretty sure he um, just had a really long. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so he played. I think he played like 15 snaps in Week One. So again, out of you know, well, actually, the Broncos. It was a weird game for the Broncos Week One. They had six possessions, which usually you have about 10 possessions. Um, so they didn't have as many snaps to go around. But typical game, 65 to 70 plays. He played 15 plays Week One. Uh, week Two, he had two targets. They asked Sean Payton about. You know, after his second after his second catch, his long catch, he didn't have any more targets. And Sean Payton basically just said, you know, like he's still learning the game. There's other guys you want to get the ball to, you know. So Sean Payton would do this thing with the Saints, and he's doing it again now, where it's like you look at the box, you look at the box score for the Jags, and five guys get targets, and it's the five guys you expect, right? It's like Travis Etienne, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, that that list, right? You look at the 49ers, like basically four guys get targets, Christian McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. And there's maybe like two or three targets go to other guys. Well, you look at the, the old Saints, you look at the Broncos, and it's going to be like nine guys get targets, 10 guys get targets. And Sean Payton wants the defense to never know. You know he's got, I guess the most, the core thing here is he runs out different personnel packages on different plays. So it's like, um, it's not like, hey, here's our starters. It's like, here's this package of players. Here's this package of players. And then whichever package of players on the field, you don't know who's going to be getting the ball out of those players. So it kind of throws the defense off that way. So Mims is like a long, long way from being a featured piece and being somebody we can rely on to see consistent targets. But, you know, he's going to get these two to three targets every game, and maybe he'll have a random game with four or five targets. But um, he's going to mix in like some some zeros basically with some 20-pointers this season. So yeah, another guy like Sky Moore with – Super broad range of outcomes. And then you said Tank Dell, you like. My guy, the dude just gets open. In fact, <laughs> Nico Collins' touchdown was a pass to Tank Dell that, that Nico Collins jumped in front of him. <laughs> um, and then Tank Dell had a couple long plays called back by penalties. I think he had another touchdown that was called back by penalty. Um, yeah, man, this dude just, he just gets open. And granted, the Jag, I, I'm not really sure yet how to process this because the Jags play a lot of zone. And they're super fast. So, you know, already zone, you got to find these tight windows and everything has to be read correctly. And then with the speed the Jags have, they can close up these windows quickly. So it's not as easy as, you know, your man covering Tank Dell. What I kept saying last week was there was like multiple clips that came out throughout training camp of him making NFL starting cornerbacks fall down or just like he would lose them by five yards because of how hard he'd come out of his breaks or how well he'd sell what they what he wanted them to think he was doing versus what he was actually doing but if you're in zone that less opportunity for his route running chops to just bust him wide open and so yeah. um yeah i don't i don't know like i'm interested to see how the texans play this week but tank dell is i mean i said it last week that he was that he should be priced at like 4900 and um you know he still should be priced at like 4900 or maybe a little bit above tougher matchup this week but um yeah he's, he's a, he's a guy i really like Did you say something else? Sorry. Oh, yeah. I said he's still going to get targets, right? I mean. Yeah. I mean, still going to get targets. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and probably the Jags score points. Probably the Texans have to throw a bunch again. Um, so all the Robert Woods, Nico Collins, Tank Dell, they're all kind of in the mix this week. Okay. Awesome. Do you want to go with him or should we go somewhere else? Yeah. If we throw him in, you know, we can kind of free up some salary. We've talked about him. We've also spent, um, you know, 43 minutes so far on the show. We usually – 
theoretically try to keep the show to 30 minutes, which we never do. But um, yeah, <laughs> let's go and throw them on because then we can kind of just get a sense of, of what a roster might look like, what the salary available is and um, all that. All right. That's what we got. All right. So we got JJ, we got Kirk cousins. Um, we still have, you know, like if we go with a cheaper tight end, we still have salary to work with at running back, but then we also have, you know, let's look at the running back position real quickly, actually, and yeah. go down to like the five K guys. Cause I think that we, we have another week. Yeah. Like again, Miles Sanders, he has, I think 22 touches and 17 touches. Uh, they're a run based team. He's a really good running back. He can beat that Seattle matchup. We have uh, Kelly in that same game, this, this chargers Vikings game that here's the thing. Kirk cousins is a pocket passer, right? He's almost seven K how does Kirk Cousins have a tournament winning score? It's from a ton of points being scored. And if a ton of points are scored, then Mike Williams and Joshua Kelly can get touchdowns on the other side of the game, you know? So, um, or we could put Alexander Madison on here, which most people won't have is like the, all three of these guys, like Vikings score five touchdowns, Madison gets two, Jefferson gets two, Cousins throws for three. So putting Cousins on here as, a, as an expensive pocket passer, we need to understand that, that we are now betting on this being a really high scoring game. And so we can complete that bet. And I, so I say all that to say there's actually flexibility here in the running back range as well. And in, in terms of other like 5k guys who have the workloads, uh, Miles Sanders, Josh Kelly, Alexander Madison, there's, there's some others as well, but um, so yeah, we, we don't have to go cheap at tight end either, but we can go cheap and, um, and then kind of figure out what we want to do at, at running back. Okay, cool. Um, we got Kelly in there. And I was thinking we could get Hawkinson, but I don't know if we can afford that. If we're gonna you know, if we do, throw him in there and let's see how tight this makes things. Okay, there's no 3,700 running backs. Yeah. We're down from the Cowboys defense. Um, because... Uh, Obviously, we can go a lot cheaper at defense and, and free up salary for one of these 5K guys. But also, Kendra Miller is kind of the Alvin Kamara replacement. Kamara is still suspended one more game. Jamal Williams is out. Kendra Miller is healthy. He missed the first two games of the season. So it's this Saints team, right? They still have those Sean Payton principles. Um, Taysom Hill got nine carries last week. But the other running back is Tony Jones Jr., who's been in the NFL for four years, got his first real shot to play meaningful action this last week, scored his first touchdown of his career, his first two touchdowns of his career. Whereas Kendry Miller is a guy they drafted, they want to develop as kind of an upside piece. So Kendry Miller at 4,300 is pretty interesting, right? Again, probably doesn't get more than like 10 to 12 touches, but if four or five of those are receptions, and if he breaks off a big play or scores a touchdown, um, it's like you said with the Cowboys defense, you spend 4,400 and think of it as like a 4,400 player. It's totally different, right? We tend to want these running backs with locked in workloads. But if we think of it as like a 4,400, 4,300 wide receiver, all the time you get these 4,300 wide receivers who could go for 20 and could go for five. And that's kind of what Kendra Miller is. So just in terms of player, uh, he fits as well this week and, uh, we have the salary form, although, you know, you go all the way down to the Jets, we kind of might have just about enough to do something a little more interesting. Tyler Algier is actually yeah. interesting because he's going to get 15 touches and I'm most cool. people won't play him. So now we talk about let's let's pretend that Amon Ross St. Brown's out. Well, we've got a popular setup in Joshua Kelly's probably going to be popular. Uh, Jefferson's going to be popular. 
Reynolds is going to be popular and like Reynolds is going to be a popular way to open up the salary. But then we're like, okay, but we also added Hawkinson to this roster. Most people with Jefferson won't have Hawkinson. We added cousins to this roster, which people will have them, but like, you know, you can only roster one quarterback. So that cuts down on ownership. Um, and then we add in Mike Williams instead of Keenan Allen. We have this overstack on this game. We throw in a running back in Tyler Algier, who most people won't have, and it works well with our, our Josh Reynolds play. So all of a sudden, our roster, even though we have some really popular pieces on it and a kind of popular starting point with Reynolds and Jefferson, it becomes super unique. And if this – like, okay, we started out the show saying there's this Minnesota the, – there's this Minnesota-Los Angeles game and it's head and shoulders above everything else. And then we went through all these other games. We're like, this game could pop off. This game could pop off. This game could pop off. But what we were basically saying is what's likeliest is that this game is head and shoulders above all the others. And so now you've placed that bet. You've placed a bet saying Minnesota, Los Angeles is head and shoulders above everything else. And because you've like gone heavy on that bet, it's different from what most people are doing. Point being like you've placed a bet on what's likeliest to happen like that being the game that people had to have. And yet most people won't build in this way because they're, they want safety. They don't want to over bet on one game. So um, yeah, this game's like 42 to 38 and next highest game is the Chiefs scoring 20, winning 27 to 10, you know, like, and then everything else is like in the twenties and teens, you're so far ahead of the field with this over bet, great roster for smaller field contests, like 5,000 fewer entries. Um, yeah. I really like it. Really like what we ended up with. Do you have any thoughts on, on this before we hop out? Um, I also like it. I'm going to save it and maybe mess around with it a little bit. Nice. Yeah. yeah, it's a good starting point for sure. And there's definitely some other directions we can go. Uh, like the Jets defense call, obviously. Uh, Mac Jones susceptible to mistakes and turnovers. And uh, Jets defense is one of the most elite units in the league. So um, cool. Yeah. Any other final thoughts before we, before we get out of here? Nope. All right. We will see you on one week season throughout the week. We will see you on the one week season podcast feed and we'll see you back here Thursday, Saturday for more DraftKings builds. And we'll see you at the top of the leaderboard on Thursday.